Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Turnbuckle Training. Introducing first your longtime fan, short time podcaster, and former fantasy wrestling hardcore champion, Peyton Boy Number Three Green. And his tag team partner, making his debut in the wacky world of fighting fools, Zach the Improviser, Barlow. I oh, you really improvised that one, didn't you? Yeah, that was that was sort of the joke there, is that I I, Im- I improvised my, my joke about beating. And, and is that what we call meta? It's what some people would call meta. It's what others, myself included, would call bad. Oh, I that that's a word for it. Or lazy, you know. Yeah. I think I think both work there. I agree. Uh, this is a show for longtime wrestling fans and rookies alike. We're going to take you th- through some of the biggest shows, matches, and rivalries in wrestling history, or at least the ones I can talk about for the next little while. And if you know nothing about wrestling, don't worry. You are in capable, good hands with Peyton, and uh, and I might also not not know anything about wrestling. That is possible. Yeah. So uh, so today we're going to be talking about you know we we took a little bit of a of a break uh, a couple weeks ago. Back on it again today. Uh, we talked about Ring of Honor. I mean, not Ring of Honor. Excuse me. Oh boy, wouldn't that be wild though if we already did this episode? Yeah. We talked about TNA a few weeks ago. Um basically kind of giving you a different different take on modern wrestling. Today we're going to be talking about Ring of Honor, basically uh the the third the third big company in uh in wrestling today. Um Ring of Honor started around 2002 around the same time as TNA. Uh, in Philadelphia, I started doing shows out of the old ECW arena, so it's kind of like TNA took the place of WCW, Ring of Honor took the place of ECW, and so Ring of Honor is kind of our introduction here to independent wrestling, which basically means, like, you know, they don't have a major TV deal. Uh, they do now. They're on TV now, but back then they weren't really on TV. They were mostly coming through with pay-per-views, live shows, and DVD sales. Um, so they gained kind of a cult following that way, much in the way ECW did. Um, and, you know, anytime something's kind of underground like that, there's a certain mystique and allure to it that, that people like. Yeah, so Ring of Honor surprised me in several ways here. One, the production value is amazing. I was expecting something much worse. Well... You are watching it several years, like they've been around for, what, 15 years now? Right, right. Um, uh, so yeah, when they first started, it was very much like, you know, bingo halls and like basketball courts kind of thing. Um, but yeah, now they've got a major TV deal, they're owned by Sinclair Broadcast Group, they're... Um, and then this show in particular, um, they're in a sold-out Madison Square Garden crowd, which is a big thing for them. Madison Square Garden is kind of like the event uh, or arena 
for wrestling. It's, you know, where several WrestleManias have been held. It used to be WWE's territory. It was like WWE owned, you know, Madison Square Garden. That's where they held their big shows. So to see Ring of Honor doing that, especially, think about this show, was on the same weekend as WrestleMania. Um, It's a a big deal. Uh, And that's kind of why I wanted to do this show, because this is like a big moment for Ring of Honor. Uh, I watched them a little bit uh, back in, like, 2006, 2007, 2008. Um, they weren't nearly on this level. Uh, and the other thing about Ring of Honor is they kind of influenced some other aspects of wrestling uh, with the style. Uh, they kind of influenced, you know, respecting women in the wrestling business. Um, and they brought over a lot of uh, a lot of current stars, especially in WWE, like Daniel Bryan and Kevin Owens and uh, people like that, came from Ring of Honor. And uh, a lot of other guys that we've seen a little bit from, uh, Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, uh, CM Punk, they wrestled in Ring of Honor as well um, and made big names for themselves. So it's really like a a jump start to bigger and better things. You know, and I want to get your opinion on this because this might just be too hot of a take. This might be wrong, but I feel like when I'm watching this Ring of Honor show, I feel like I am almost transported to WWE attitude um, slash ruthless aggression. Like, because the dumb storylines seem to be here. We've got strong character work. It's like a lot of the elements that made up that, but minus a lot of the problematic things, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I, I honestly hadn't thought about that because, see, normally when I try to, like, pitch Ring of Honor to people, I'm like, oh, it's really wrestling, you know, in-ring style focus, not so much on the storylines, but it was proven wrong in one match, especially on here. <laughs> uh, they do have some crazy, wacky storylines. Uh, but, yeah, no, that's a good point is that it's a very, like, ruthless aggression era WWE style to a point, and then, yeah, no, it does have some fun, some fun stories. Yeah, so I was I was very pleasantly surprised by this pay-per-view and just the size of the crowd, the enthusiasm. Like I have one gripe with Ring of Honor, only one. And that is that they need to work on their distribution. Like they need a smart TV app, they need to have a better like scheduled payment system uh because we ran into some trouble with that and uh not to get too deeply into that, but they are asking a bit much for their back catalog. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. And, and it's a lot better than it was before because it used to be the only way you can watch Ring of Honor is you had to go on their website and buy a DVD, um, which I did a lot, uh, and it was worth it. But, yeah, no, 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 it, it's hard to get their back catalog, which I think is uh, – I think is is really great because you can see a lot of guys. And a lot of people have come through, a lot of really famous wrestlers have come through Ring of Honor, maybe not even so much as wrestlers, but just to almost as like cameos and visits. Mick Foley um, did a little segment with them. Uh, Eddie Guerrero was on the very first Ring of Honor show. Um, uh, Terry Funk has wrestled there. I mean, we see in Uh, this show Bubba Ray Dudley. Bubba Ray Dudley is having a stint there. Um, the Hardy the Hardy Boys left TNA um, right after they had done their very successful broken gimmicks. They went to Ring of Honor. Um, interesting point about the Hardys. They're the only tag team who's ever won the TNA, ROH, and WWE 
tag team titles or any title in all three companies in the same calendar year. Wow. That is impressive. Um, yeah. So, no, there's a lot to love from Ring of Honor. Um, I, I, I've I started trying to get back into them a little bit. I actually went to a Ring of Honor show in San Antonio uh, back in January. Really great. And that was actually uh, – that was actually the um, – it was called Road to G1 Supercard. It was the last show, kind of on the uh, on the way to this on the way to this show. So a lot of the storylines are kind of carrying over. Some a little bit familiar with some of the storylines, but not so much. But I think this is a show you could kind of hop into without really knowing a lot of the stories going on. Yeah, and I mean, I think that when you are in sort of Ring of Honor shoes, and this is what I would like to see from them in the future, is to sort of build on this. Uh, you can't run as intricate of stories, right? Because you know that people are tuning in for pay-per-views. They're sort of sporadically watching. You don't have quite as many week-to-week viewers. So really bolstering that fan base lets you do a lot more fun things with your story. So I'd love to see them do that in the future. But I think that this was a great point to jump in. I think that all the characters are clear-cut enough that you can really tell what's going on. And the last thing that I really love about Ring of Honor is the mixing of uh, also having Japanese and Mexican wrestlers uh, wrestle alongside the American wrestlers. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, so that's a big thing. This is actually kind of more of a, a co-branded show. It's uh, it's Ring of Honor and New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, are kind of tag-teaming this. New Japan Pro Wrestling um, is a huge, I'm, I'd almost say it's like the fourth biggest you know, wrestling promotion in the world, um, has a big following all over the world. Um, they're kind of like the ROH's counterpoint. A lot of the storylines kind of blend over. You've got the Bullet Club, who we see a little bit from in this show. The Bullet Club is basically the independent wrestling version of the New World Order. Um, and the Bullet Club is on, is on both ROH and New Japan. Um, but yeah, no, no. Uh, we get we get some New Japan in there. We get some CMLL, some Mexican wrestling. It's a really great blending of styles, and is a great way to showcase a very specific Japanese style of wrestling to an American audience. Which you know, now that you have the internet and you have you know all these streaming services, it's a lot easier to come by. But again, you know, a lot of people who are still exclusively watching like WWE. You don't really get that so much. And I do think there's a very specific wrestling style here that's unique, I think, to anywhere else. You know, you you compared it to Ruthless Aggression, and I do see that comparison. But I think even that doesn't come close to come as far as, as this style of wrestling. It's very fast-paced, very stiff and high-impact, I think, that you don't really see anywhere else. I completely agree with that. I think that, I mean, in my comparison to Ruthless Aggression, I'm talking about just story, characters, atmosphere, you know? But as far as actual wrestling goes, it is something that is um, unmatched, I think, and I really enjoy. I really enjoy watching because it's, like you said, very fast and has a big emphasis on high dexterity moves and speed, um... And high flying, and just it, all the things that I personally really like. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here that I didn't even know how to describe. I didn't even know what to call stuff. So uh, we should uh, probably so you'll you'll notice that a few times where I'm like, he does this thing. Uh, we should probably mention too 
that this is going to be our first two-part episode. Uh, just so, you know, at the end of this, you're not confused about where the other four matches are, because they're coming next time. Yeah, this was a long-ass show. This show's about five hours long, so we're only going to do half of it. We're going to do the first uh, six matches on this card, and then we'll do the last four um, in two weeks. Hold on. <coughs> Sorry, I had to sneeze. Um, obviously, because I just sneezed. <laughs> I didn't have to sneeze. I wanted to. <laughs> um, yeah, let's jump right into it. Uh, we opened the show with members of the Ring of Honor and New Japan uh, roster talking about the magic of Med- Madison Square Garden, how much it means to it. This is clearly a big moment for Ring of Honor, a big moment for a lot of these guys who haven't wrestled on this huge of a stage. You know, when I went in San Antonio, it was at a very small event. It was so small that the wrestlers were just behind a curtain, and they would come out and get in line with us to go get a burger. <laughs> like that's like that's what it was like. It was, I mean, it was like a, it was a gym, in like the bad part of town. Um. So yeah, no, no, no. They, that is so crazy. seeing them here in like the biggest arena in the country is, you know, a pleasant surprise. Yeah, man, that is that is crazy. But also, you know what's crazy? Getting a burger before a wrestling match because that's going to really gum up your works, I think. Yeah, no, no, I'm surprised. You know, I saw I saw that guy. It was John Grisham. I saw him wrestle. I was like, man, I can't believe I just watched this guy eat the greasiest burger I've ever seen. You saw John Grisham, writer of the firm, <laughs> yes, wrestling. Yes, I did. I, I I didn't even think about that, which is weird <laughs> considering like people from where we live are fucking hype about John Grisham. The law library is literally named after him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, we we go to ringside. We're introduced to our commentary team for the evening, Colt Cabana, who is uh, a semi well, not retired. Uh, but he he's doing a lot of commentary. He's a he's a wrestler. CM Punk's best friend, Colt Cabana, Ian Riccoboni, and then Kevin Kelly, a former interviewer for WWE. Um, what do you think about the commentary team here? Um, I actually really like the commentary team in this show. Yeah. Um, I I thought they did a really great. I thought they're probably the second best commentary team we've ever seen. Um, and you know I like Riccoboni. He he's they're all really excited about what's going on. And uh, and and calling the moves and such and and Colt is uh, you know a wrestler, but he's not a bad a bad commentator. And then Kevin Kelly's been in the business doing commentary for you know a long time. Well, my only problem with the commentary team is, to me, all their voices kind of sound the same, so it's hard for me to tell who's talking when. Yes, it's I agree, very difficult. Which is why which, you'll hear me say some things in the show, like the commentary said blank, but I cannot tell you who specifically said what. Yeah, me either, and I I've been watching it for a little while, so I but I, I can't vault them for having similar sounding voices. <laughs> Um, our first match on the card is a is a winner take all type of match. Uh, two championships, the never open weight championship, which is like a like a much smaller indie wrestling company, never, and then the Ring of Honor Television Championship. So we got Will Ospreay. Um, gosh, I'm gonna have to remind myself who is what champion because I can't remember. <laughs> um. Uh- you know, I will say though, while you're while you're reminding yourself of that, I love how Ring of Honor 
acknowledges all these other wrestling companies and sort of doesn't have the closed off universe of the WWE. I think that that yeah. adds a lot. It makes it feel bigger. They even mention uh, they even mention WWE a few a few times. Yes, and um, not in a TNA way of like, ugh, WWE. Yeah, they mention it in a historical context. They're not necessarily putting them over, but they'll mention like WWE wrestlers. Like they'll compare them to WWE wrestlers in a in a positive way. Um, so Will Ospreay is your never open weight championship. Jeff Cobb is the Ring of Honor Television Championship. Uh, the announcers are really. I, I really like how the announcers put people over really well here. Yes, uh, talk about how successful they've both been all over the world. Um, and this kind of happens in every match, but the crowd is like split between the two guys, and that's one thing about Ring of Honor is while there are technically faces and heels, it really doesn't matter when it comes down to the crowd because the crowd chants for everybody. <laughs> right. Right. Like, there are people who are clearly supposed to be heels, but the crowd cheers for anyway. And that's because your Ring of Honor crowd, they're all smart. Like, they're, like, and by smart, I mean in, like, the wrestling lingo type of way, as in they're, like, smart to the business in that, like, you know, they know Ah. the ins and outs kind of stuff. It's been a while since we've had a word of the day. Yeah, a word of the day, smart. A lot of people will say stuff like, a mark is someone who doesn't understand... You know, the intricacies behind the wrestling business, while as a smart, a smart mark is someone who does understand the intricacies behind the business. So, yeah, there you go. There's your word of the day. A mark I kinda gave is you three. the redneck child in the second grade who wants to beat you up because you said that Undertaker isn't a real zombie. <laughs> yeah, that would be a, be a mark there. Um, but, yeah, no, so... Fans kind of cheer for for anyone. Um, they shake hands at the beginning, and that's kind of a thing with Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor has its own little special rules. This one is more like a tradition rather than a rule. Is shaking hands at the beginning of the match. It's called the Code of Honor, um, and so you can get people over, or you can you know get people heat either way. If they shake hands, you know people will be like, oh, they respect each other. Or if someone denies a handshake, it could be like, oh, he's a heel. So. You know, that's kind of what that is. Uh, also, one thing to mention, I, I only the only thing reason I think they do this is so they can fight on the outside for longer is they have a 20 count on the floor instead of a 10 count. Ah, I was kind of wondering about that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I really do like the shaking hands thing because I like any device that lets you tell more story in the wrestling match. And yeah. I think that's exactly what that does. Um, we go outside pretty quickly, and Will Ospreay gets thrown into the crowd, uh, but he launches himself back over onto Jeff Cobb. Um, he does a pretty nice springboard moonsault over the top rope, but Cobb catches him, and then Ospreay reverses that into a DDT on the floor. I really like the... You never really know what's going to happen, especially with, like, the quick reversals. You know, a guy can reverse a move, and then he can reverse that move, and it's... Really, really, really cool. I uh, agree. Really Keeps cool it exciting. And I love the mismatch of styles here, uh, where we've got, you know, Osprey, who is this high-flying, sort of very agile dude, and Cobb, that is just a big, powerful man. Yeah, he shows off his power. He's about to su- suplex him off the top rope, but not before holding him over his head for like 10 seconds, which I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, um, no, this is very awesome. We get another one of those cool reversal moments where Will Ospreay attempts a Hurricane Rana, 
but Cobb just picks him up and puts him in a bear hug. Um, there is a cool moment where Will Ospreay hits almost like a 619-like move, and the announcers actually mention that. They actually are like, they say, like, oh, it's kind of like a 619. Yeah, I, I like that, like, there are several shout-outs in this show at various points to Rey Mysterio. There are, yeah. And I really love that because, you know, if you go back and listen to our Cruiserweights episode, which is basically just the Rey Mysterio episode, uh, you hear how much I love Rey Mysterio. And I love that cruiser the Cruiserweight style is still living here in Ring of Honor, even though Vince McMahon sort of crushed it under his heel. Well, and it is kind of cool that Rey Mysterio has a move that's, like, so unique that, like, if someone does something like it, you can only describe it as his move. <laughs> yes, that is very, very cool. It's, I think, rare, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think it's rare that new moves are created nowadays because, like, you know, yeah. there's only so much you can do. So whenever you do have a move that is, like, explicitly your thing, that just goes to show how great you are, and every time someone does the 619, I think it is in honor of Mr. Rey Mysterio. Yeah. Um, it's one of those moves that, like, there are several moves that, like, got named after people, like a Gorilla Press Slam is named after a Gorilla Monsoon, or a Luthez Press is obviously named after Luthez, so, like... Too bad he didn't call it, like, the Mysterio Special or something like that. Yeah, a scissor uh. kick is named after Peter B. Scissors. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, there is one thing about indie wrestling as far as move sets is that indie wrestling tries to, you know, like, really make you feel like, oh, these wrestlers are, you know, pulling out all the stops. So sometimes moves can get overused. And one of the moves that that happens to is the super kick. Because there is a part in this match where they're just super kicking each other back and forth, which is a move like which would make Shawn Michaels turn over in his grave, even though he's not dead. Right, right, but yeah, the, that I agree is sort of an abuse of the super kick. Because <laughs> um, there are some times where there are moves. It's like, okay, if this doesn't finish the match, then like, what the fuck will you know? Right, right, and that is something that I think you do have to sort of pace out. But, you know, one thing that I love about wrestling is that it's almost as close as we can get to a live-action Smash Brothers as far as, like, all the special moves being used and everyone having a move set. Now that is a sentence. (laughs) When you jump off the top rope. Okay, I don't know why I thought about this. Okay, now I understand what you were saying. When you said, you said Smash Brothers, for some reason my mind thought Smash Mouth. Uh, I mean... That too? I guess. I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense, but I'm going to go along with it. But Smash Brothers does make sense. Okay, now what I want someone to do is go find a wrestling match. Any wrestling match will do. And on literally every hit that happens in that match, put in some body right when they get hit. (laughs) That's good. I think it would elevate the sport. And they don't stop coming. Okay. (laughs) So the crowd starts giving us a This Is Awesome chant, our first of many in this show, I'm sure. Um, he uh, Will Ospreay gets a flying dropkick, dramatically flings off his elbow pad that would make The Rock turn over at his grave. I don't know why I'm killing all these wrestlers. Yeah, man, you're, you're really, uh, really just wiping the floor here. 
they're they're countering back and forth before Osprey hits a sunset flip power bomb for a near fall. Um, Osprey does this cool move where he does a drop kick, but he does like a backflip too, and then he gets his head damn near clean taken off with a clothesline. Again, showing like they can be pretty fucking stiff here. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a lot. It is a lot stiffer than the WWE, and I was on the lookout for that this time. Uh, since we talked about it last time when we did TNA. Um, pretty cool move uh, where Will Ospreay is attempting a, a springboard like stunner. Um, he springs off the ropes and tries to hit a stunner on Cobb, but Cobb just throws him into the corner. Um, and then he eventually does get it and gets a very close two count. Um, Ospreay puts Cobb up but then Cobb gets to the second rope, and he uh, kicks him below the belt with what the announcers call, or Will Ospreay kicks him below the belt with what the announcers call the Cheeky Nando's kick. I'm glad you also picked up on this move that's named after a five-year-old meme. (laughs) Well, it's named after a real restaurant. The restaurant is just called Nando's. When you put Cheeky in front of it, that is the meme. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right, actually. Um, so Will Ospreay's on the top rope, but then Cobb hits the what they call the Tour of the Islands, which is just some kind of crazy spinning slam off the top rope. Then he hits it again for good measure and uh, gets the win. I thought this was an excellent way to open up the show. I didn't really have anything bad to say about this one. Other than now that I'm looking back through it, it looks like Will Ospreay's getting on, in all the offense, and then Cobb just Cobb pulls just it out, yeah. At, at at the end, but I, I thought it was I thought it was really great. Yeah, I thought it was a really great match. Other than sort of the um, what I'll call the big man bias um, mm. of Will Osprey doing all the work. And well, then, and then again, you do want your ROH guy, especially if you're on the opening match. You want the, your ROH guy to come out on top on an ROH show this for is, sure. Will Osprey is sure. kind of more of like a visitor here. I think uh, I gave it a three and three quarter stars. Uh, after the match, they show the World Arm Wrestling Champion, which is apparently a thing. Yeah, I was I was sort of surprised by that. I wonder if that is a spectator sport, because it cannot be that interesting. Yeah, they do make a reference to, uh, what's the Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling movie? Um, who, I'm not sure. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because they, they say something about, like, oh, you gotta turn the hat around backwards. I I actually don't know that movie because anytime I think of 80s muscle men and arm wrestling, I think of Arnold Schwarzenegger in that one scene from Predator. Over the Top is the name name of the movie. Thank you for, for... Welcome to our new Over the Top podcast where we talk about Over the Top every week. Uh, I, I feel like... I feel like Over the Top... Is enough in the American lexicon. <laughs> uh, our next match is Dalton Castle coming out with the Our next match is Sylvester Stallone in Over the Top. Oh, my God. Our next match is an arm wrestling match. Uh. Uh, so we have Dalton Castle with the boys versus Roosh. Dalton <laughs> Castle is a fun guy. He's so fun. And I he- love that. I mean, do you want to describe his gimmick before I start talking about it? <laughs> Yeah, human peacock. <laughs> He's just like, hey, look at me. I'm a sexy man, and I have two boys that 
are my my fucking like ring boys that do everything for me and let me walk on them and sit on them and carry me and stuff. And he came out with a whole gaggle of boys. Oh yeah, he came out with even more boys. That's that's true. Usually it's just the two boys. But yeah, he, he was like wheeled out with a whole crowd of them. Uh, um, it's like, okay, and now I can talk about this because we put the unaired pilot up so people will know. It's like the it's like the uh, flip of the hoe train. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the hoe train. But I do but like boys. that the announced team is able to have a lot of fun with this gimmick while not being homophobic. Hats off to them. Yeah, yeah, that is one. the 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 Ring of Honor team is a lot less problematic. I feel like. Yeah, no, uh, and I, they were making really good jokes about just saying, "Oh, hello, boys," and that was so <laughs> funny to me. Uh, I I saw uh, Dalton Castle wrestle in San Antonio. He wrestled. Uh, I can't remember who he wrestled, but it was a six-man tag match with the boys, and they kind of planted the seeds of like, oh, there's a. You know, there's some tension between Dalton and the boys uh, because Dalton accidentally elbowed one of the boys in the head when he thought it was somebody else, and then the boy got pinned. And so, like, there's, you know, some seeds of discord there, um, which we will see wh- what happens here. He's uh, he's wrestling Roosh, who is um, a Mexican wrestler who just recently came to Ring of Honor who got way too overdressed for this match, apparently, because he takes off all his clothes right as soon as he walks out. Here's the thing. His name is spelled exactly like Rush. And I was kind of expecting, you know, Getty Lee to come out and just be like, yeah, oh, yeah. (laughs) Could you imagine? (laughs) What if there was a wrestler whose name was Rush and their whole like move set was like based around Rush songs? <laughs> We're about to go into the niche zone. <laughs> the tornado YYZ instead of the tornado DDT. <laughs> the twenty one twelve instead of the six one nine. The La Villa Strangoliato. <laughs> The Superconductor Plex. Oh, that is also good. All right. No, 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 no more. Unless one comes to me while I'm talking. But yeah, no, he was wearing a mask and a white suit, and he immediately takes all of it off, uh, which I thought was like, okay, why wear it in the first place? Um, Yeah. The fans are once again kind of split between both guys. Um. Dalton Castle tries to shake Roosh's hand, but Roosh kicks it right out of the way. The bell rings, and Roosh hits a huge drop kick, sends him into the corner, then drop kicks him twice in the corner, and then pins him for the win in like about ten seconds. Yeah, man, that was that was pretty wild. Um, I'll say this: I didn't see it coming. <laughs> Me either, especially because they've kind of been pushing Dalton Castle, but I guess they're pushing Ro- Roosh even more. I almost called him Rush. Um, it's just uh, weird match to have on your basically your equivalent to WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess you know, again, they're trying to show, but then again, WrestleMania has had some short matches too. They had Daniel Bryan lose the World Heavyweight Title in eight seconds. So, oh man, to Hornswoggle, no less. 
Yeah, well, I mean, kind of to Hornswoggle, because he did wrestle Seamus, who is a big, giant Irish guy. So he's, like, anti-Hornswoggle. <laughs> um, I, need, I need them to do, you know that scene from SpongeBob in the Fry Cook games? Where he's like, this is my champion! Uh, and then it's, like, Patrick on the back of the big guy. <laughs> I need them to do that with Seamus and Hornswoggle. They should. That was a very specific. We really are in the niche zone. <laughs> I'll, okay, I'll, I'll get out of the niche zone. Um, Don Castle's really frustrated, and the boys try to make him feel better by letting them sit on him. And he's about to sit on him, and then he just, he just takes them both out and leaves the ring crying. And the crowd is shouting, why? It's very dramatic. <laughs> This is a line from the commentary that possibly should have been reconsidered. I have never seen Dalton Castle lay his hands on a boy like that. (laughs) I didn't. I actually remember hearing that, and I didn't. You know, sometimes you, as being an outsider, pick up on funny stuff that I don't pick on, and that was one of those moments. Yeah, sometimes if you just take wrestling completely out of context, it gets really wild. Um, I gave this match probably the lowest rating I've ever given it a match. I gave it half a star because it was not a match. It was ten seconds, and it was three drop kicks. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Um, that's I'd say an excellent assessment. Um, they're promoting a New Japan show here, and we see a bunch of guys winning the IWGP Championship, which is their big title, including Hulk Hogan. I thought that was kind of interesting that they they showed Hogan. I don't know if you caught that. It was very a quick little glimpse, but yeah, uh, it's a big Japanese title. A bunch of wrestlers have wrestled in Japan, including, believe it or not, Hulk Hogan. They showed him winning the title. I thought that was pretty cool. That is that is really cool. I mean, well, other than you know Hulk Hogan being a piece of shit, but. It's cool that they're acknowledged. I can't believe Hulk Hogan appeared on WrestleMania that weekend and at Ring of Honor. Yeah, okay. In a way. When can we finally fucking get rid of him? Not at all, because they brought him back. Not until he dies. Like, Hulk Hogan is just way too synonymous with WWE to truly get rid of him. Uh, and I think that even after he dies, we'll get, like, Hulk Robin, which is like a robot Hulk Hogan. Was so stupid. I mean, what do you think I'm here for? Everyone Why is do you dumber think I'm for having heard market? what you just said. <laughs> um, so we go to ringside. Uh, the announcers welcome Mandy Leon for the Women of Honor Championship. Uh, they even brand their women's wrestling differently, but in a uh, nice way, where they call it Women of Honor. You uh, missed something, sir. Okay, sorry. Juice me. has been attacked. Okay, I was getting to that. Mandy Leon comes out first. Oh, sorry. Whoops. And then Ian Riccoboni says there's a tag been backstage, and Juice Robinson has been laid out, and he's underneath a pile of chairs. Um, yeah, man. Sorry. I, I just thought you weren't going to acknowledge the sacrifice that Juice made for all of us, and I was going to be a little upset about that. But Juice did. died for our sins. Um, yes. Juice, juice has been spilled. <laughs> I can't believe no one thought of that. I can't believe I didn't think of it. They do like to name their wrestlers after, like, consumables, because they have juice. They also have cheeseburger. Those were the only two examples I had, but... That's enough. enough. 
I don't know if Cheeseburger... I don't think Cheeseburger wrestles on this show, unfortunately. Damn it. Hey, if Cheeseburger ever goes to, like, you know, like a tropical island, is it Cheeseburger in Paradise? Hey, hey, you're gonna hate on me over Hulk Robin, but you're gonna make a fucking Jimmy Buffett reference on our goddamn podcast? That's what you're gonna do? Huh? I, mean, I can't right speak, there, but man. you're allowed to be a tyrant? I do think it's funny that Ian Riccoboni's like, hey, Colt, can you text somebody to find out what happened? <laughs> and he's like, okay, you told me not to be on my phone, Dad. So we have uh, what I think is probably your favorite match here is the Women's uh, Honor yeah. Championship. Oh God, don't don't be Jerry the King Lawler here. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and warn the audience. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a little horny. Zach has a huge crush on Kelly Klein. Kelly Klein has powerful thighs. I would say she's like the Ronda Rousey of wrestling, but Ronda Rousey also wrestles. So yeah. But, you know, I'd let Kelly Klein put me through a table. I'd let Kelly Klein, you know, give me a cheer shot to the head. Are you done? Uh, yeah, that's, that's as horny as I'm going to get. You missed a pretty obvious one. Like, I'd let Kelly Klein pin me. Oh like yeah, no, I wasn't. I wasn't making sexual innuendos. I was. I would literally let Kelly Klein hit me in the head with a steel chair. Oh okay, what a sacrifice! So we have our Women of Honor Championship. Kelly Klein coming out with Camp Klein, which is like her big posse of like. She basically has a gimmick where she's like kind of like sort of like an Ultimate Fighter kind of. I mean, she kind of is Ronda Rousey, but like. I I'll allow it. Yeah. You know, though, okay, I love and She's hate. like Lady Brock Lesnar, but, like, she actually, like, bothers to fucking show up on TV. <laughs> I, okay, I think that the name The Gatekeeper is a little bit of a misnomer. I think that if we're going to name a wrestler The Gatekeeper, they should be, one, a man, two, in a fedora, and three, constantly ruining comic books for everyone <laughs> I don't get this reference. Uh, gatekeeping is like a really big thing that shitty men do where they like are like, ugh, we can't have girls read comic books. Oh. I, it's a very big cultural touchstone. I'm trying I don't, to work I don't, in... I don't associate myself with those people. Working in social commentary into our wrestling show, Peyton. Hmm. Well, I mean, honestly... It happens a lot, because sometimes companies try to work in social commentary into their wrestling. Yeah, um, and I With feel like it's almost success. always tone deaf. Yeah. Um, so Kelly Klein is wrestling Mayu Uwatani, who's coming out with Sumi Sakai, who, who is, uh, was actually the inaugural Women of Honor uh, champion. Um, I actually watched Kelly Klein wrestle Sumi Sakai, uh, and Sumi Sakai got her nose broken by Kelly Klein, legitimately. Oh my god. Uh, and was a bloody mess, so. I'd let Kelly Klein break my nose. Any okay. day. Well, uh, the announcers were mentioning she, uh, she went two years undefeated, uh, although she's not undefeated anymore, apparently, because she lost the title. Um, uh, Kelly Klein extends her hand for the code of honor, but Iwatani barely shakes it. K 
Kelly Klein decides to send her posse to the back to the surprise of the announce team, so they shake hands again. She's like, okay, get your, get your, get your cronies out of here, and I'll respect you. I, I just have to point out, because this is my role on this show, your role is to know about wrestling and say very Are good. Are you telling me to know my role and shut my mouth? No, no, I'm saying your role is that you know very good things and you're very good at talking about them, and my role is that I say dumb shit, and Watani's music sounds like Metal Harbor from Sonic Adventure 2. Mm, that's right. And I would uh, argue that that's your role in real life. I mean, yeah, that's that's... When I in say real my life, role, as opposed to this podcast, which is not real. Yeah, but I'm not saying I'm not saying it's exclusive to the podcast. My role in real I life. I just wanted I just wanted to dunk on you right here. I know. I'm just saying that you're right. Um, we start off with some good chain wrestling, you know, and the kind of wrestling we're seeing here is the kind of stuff we see, I think, in the latter half of the women's revolution in the WWE, and a lot of that came from companies like Ring of Honor, actually letting their women do real wrestling. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's And when I, I – I know I keep referencing when I went and saw them in San Antonio, but I, I, it's because I thought it was really cool. It was the first time I'd seen Ring of Honor live, first time I'd seen wrestling in, like, 10 years. But um, it was it was like the best match on the card was the women's match. Uh, when I went and saw them. And this one's really good, too. It's fantastic. And, you know, it's, again, what I love, that mismatch of styles of Iwatani's high-flying, high-dexterity, and Klein's powerful thighs. Yes. Um, uh, apparently, both women each have two wins over each other apiece, so this is kind of like the uh, the rubber match here. Um. Uh, at one point, Iwatami goes for a Hurricane Rana, but uh, Kelly Klein shows off that power, hits her with a power bomb, or tries to hit her with a power bomb, I, sh- I should say, and Iwatami reverses that into an inverted Hurricane Rana, basically like a backwards one that drops her on her head, pins her for a two count. Uh, and Kelly Klein at one point hits a sick German suplex where she drops her like right on her head, too. Yeah, it's it's really badass. I'm glad you know how to the words and how to call all these things because I just watch these matches and I'm like, cool, cool fight. Yeah, I mean, and people are probably confused when I say names of moves, but they're basically all different ways to say throw. (laughs) But, you know, it's also literally the only way to do this podcast. Yeah, I mean, I could be like, yeah, and then she grabs her, wraps her arms around her waist while she's standing from behind her and throws her over her head, like, and that would take fucking Yeah, that that would add, like, like two hours. Uh, Iwatami gets a gets a super kick and then hits a dragon suplex and I, I thought this was a really cool uh, thing is she's pinning her but uh, Kelly Klein's foot just happened to land on the rope to break up the hold uh, which I thought was a cool spot uh, and probably required a lot of uh, planning to make that look like an accident unless it actually was an accident. You, you know? know this match though because. Uh... Iwatani is a Japanese wrestler, made me think, like, how difficult must it be to plan, and I know a lot of matches, most matches are mostly improvised, how hard is it to coordinate with someone whose first language is different from yours? That's a good question. I never really thought about that. Um, You know, these Japanese wrestlers, well, for one thing, you know, 
everyone but Americans, like, know other languages. So, Very true. Uh, so I bet, like, probably uh, almost, like, 90% of the time the Japanese wrestler knows English, and so they just do it in English. But, you know, that is, that is a good point. Oh, yeah, um, no, I'm sure that they they speak English. I'm just saying, like... Yeah, it's not their first language, so, they, right. you know, there is some kind of a barrier there. Oh, that's a good point that I never really thought of. And it's impressive when you get a match this good that, you know, is uh, a product of that. Wrestling is the universal language. Indeed. Um, Iwatani goes to the top rope, but Klein pulls her off, hits a powerbomb for a near fall, and then Kelly Klein hits her with the K-Power, which is uh, just a uh, fireman's carry slam. Hits her with it twice and pins her for the win. Thought it was a great way to showcase Ring of Honor women's wrestling. And I, like you said, I like the two styles shown here. Yeah, no, I really liked this match for, for multiple reasons. I gave it a four out of five. Uh, oh, anything else you thought about the match? Um, I mean, it was it was really good. It was really cool. I I don't have the vocabulary you do. Sorry, I was just trying to, to let you say more stuff. I didn't want it to seem oh, like I no, was you know, it's, it's, railroading you. You're 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 not. I was admittedly distracted during this match. Mm, fair uh, enough. I do have to say, what happens next is maybe not great. Yeah, that is a good point. So, uh, Iwatani and, 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 and Klein hug each other in the middle of the ring and celebrate. Uh, and then Angelina Love and Velvet Sky show up and walk down to the ring. They're, uh, they were a team in TNA during when TNA basically was just trying to copy what the WWE were doing with women. WWE had divas and TNA had knockouts. Um, I, I was never really a big fan of Love and Sky, but here they come down to the ring. Um, Mandy Leon comes down from the announce table to to apparently back up Kelly Klein, but she actually ends up taking off her heel and hitting Kelly Klein in the head with it. Um, and then a, a weird thing happens where a bunch of women just start running down and get kicked in the face. <laughs> yeah, it's... I don't really like this part of the show. Yeah. Um, the attacking with heels and hairspray and shit, it just harkens back to a darker era. Where they take us... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, when you do that kind of shit, I feel bad for bead horny about, about the rest Because <laughs> that's what you want me to do. I can only be horny in good conscience when you treat them with respect. I think I found the uh, the title for this episode. <laughs> um, yeah, they draw a, a, a like an anarchy symbol on her f- forehead with with lipstick and take a selfie with her. Um, I do have to say the commentary team has a couple of funny remarks. They say these women are positively evil, and they say there's nothing fetch about this at all. <laughs> Lost it when he said that. I'm glad you also noticed that. And he says it so serious. Just there's nothing fetch about this at all. I didn't like that at all. Apparently, they're they're the graphic pops up behind him. It says they're called the Allure, so they're a new like women's stable. So clearly building up to something here. Um, 
At ringside, Kevin Kelly says that Juice has been attacked and will not be able to complete. Colt Cabana volunteers to take his spot, so we'll see what's to come with old Juice. Um, they promote the uh, ROH and New Japan apps. Uh, and then here comes a strange non-sequitur of a moment here. Here comes just a straight injection of cringe. I wrote, this is what I wrote about this. I said, what WWE nonsense is this? <laughs> so Caprice Coleman joins the announce team, and they introduce us to a rapper who is apparently the king of nerdcore, Mega Ran. Yeah, so I see that you have in your notes here a bunch of question marks after nerdcore. Allow me to explain as a dizzying of the internet. Um, nerdcore is a really super cringy style of rap where people rap about nerd things. Oh, okay. Yeah, I figured you'd probably put that together from context clues, but, you know, just in case you didn't and you were confused, there you go. Hence the so, Tetris jacket that Mega Ran is wearing. Uh, what I can only imagine is that some fan of Ring of Honor, like, just started writing a bunch of letters and saying, Hey guys, I wrote a rap song about you. Hey guys, I wrote a rap song about you. And then they thought it would be really funny if they brought him out and made, uh, and made him look like the biggest heel in this show. Yes. Man, okay, I am glad that it was like a spot that he is bad because I thought he was just performing very poorly when he is, because he's written a song for Ring of Honor about them being in Madison Square Garden and uh, he he like is performing it, but they're playing a recording of it, but like with the lyrics still in it and he's like off sync with his own lyrics and it just sounds terrible. Yeah, he's basically like doing Honky Tonk Man here, singing his own theme song. <laughs> and This uh, is the new Honky Tonk Man. He is catching some heat from the crowd. And it's funny because they brought out their biggest heel in the company to try to, like, get a reaction. And literally, so, okay, I'll get, it, I'll get into it. Bully Ray, also known as Bubba Ray Dudley from ECW and WWE. They had to change his name because WWE owns the rights to Bubba Ray Dudley. So he's called Bully Ray because he's bad. Um, and he comes out, and the crowd is literally chanting, Fuck him up, Bully. <laughs> uh, so the guy who's supposed to be... The guy whose name is I Am Bad... <laughs> Is being encouraged to beat up a civilian. Yes, to beat up this rapper. And okay, I kind of wish the WWE did this kind of shit too. I mean, they do to a certain degree, but I mean, really involve the musical guest so I could see Fred Durst get suplexed. Yeah, but here's the thing: is that they like they they put over the the horrible musical talent like they're good. <laughs> They have Kevin Federline beat John Cena, you know. Yeah, no, I need to see them get the shit beat out of them. Uh, yeah, that is the only bad thing about this, is that Bully Ray does not actually beat the shit out of um, Mega Ran here. Um, although, he does say this line. He's, Bully Ray says, There are 20,000 people here who want to see me kick your mother trucking ass. Yeah, a weird self-censor of the trucking um, there, Bubba Ray. I'm sorry, Bully Ray. 
Yeah, I, I guess they didn't want to say a swear. Yeah, it just Maybe harkens like... me back to when I was a kid, and there was a video game that came out called Big Mother Truckers and Big Mother Truckers 2, and they were literally just video games where it was a trucker simulation. So they were not at all exciting, but I, I don't know why that just pops out in my memory. It reminds me of the vine of, Mother trucker, dude, that hurt like a butt cheek on a stick. <laughs> um, bully, well, he, he actually does beat up Bully a little bit because he whips him with a chain. Um, and then Bully pretty much takes responsibility for what happened to Juice Robinson, but he says his New York City street fight is still open, so he's encouraging anyone to have a street fight with him. The lights go off, and then The Undertaker comes out. <laughs> just, just kidding. It's Flip Gordon. Uh, the crowd pops huge. Uh, they, the announcer said they thought he wasn't medically cleared to compete because he got injured and was off the previous show, but here he comes. So we've got a New York City street fight between Bully Ray and Flip Gordon. So we've had our high-flying. We've had our stiff, strong style. Now it's time to get a little hardcore. Um, uh at one point, this is actually pretty funny. Bully Ray goes to the outside looking for something, and one of the commentators says, "This is why Devon always got the table." Yes, I he can't find a table. I thought that was fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, Bully does set up a table in the ring, but gets a super kick. Uh, Flip Gordon gets a kendo stick, but that's when Silas Young and Saint Shane Taylor come to the ring and start attacking him. They're apparently angry they didn't get to wrestle tonight. Um. They're about to beat him up with that kendo stick. The lights go out again, and it's Kane! <laughs> Just kidding. It's Juice Robinson and Mark Haskins. They come out to the ring with, like, a mini dumpster full of weapons. Yes. Uh, and, man, does this one get wild. Oh, for sure. Um... So they just decide to make it a six-man tag match in the middle of the match, because I guess you can do that. Um, And so we're about to put Flip Gordon to a table, but Juice moves it out of the way. This one really does go pretty wild. Um, uh, We get some nice chair shots, uh, a crazy moonsault uh, that, that, that Young does. And Young is not an... His name may be Young, but he's actually pretty old. <laughs> and he does a crazy moonsault on the Juice with the chair on his chest, so that was cool. I do love Juice's yell of, Eat shit! I didn't hear that. Oh, you didn't? It was very good. Yeah, I mean, anytime someone can yell, Eat shit in a match, it's good. Um, Haskins and Gordon do like a double suicide dive on the Taylor and Young on the outside. Bully Ray starts beating the shit out of everybody with the kendo stick. Um, a really cool spot in the match is when Taylor and Young each grab kendo sticks and they line Flip Gordon up in the center of the ring, and he's just like, bring it. There are so many goddamn kendo sticks. Like, someone just spilled their collection of kendo sticks under this ring. Which, how did they get there? Because, like, I've never seen one of those just in the wild. Yeah, and it's not like a... It's not like a table or a chair where it's like, oh, we might need this later. Just when you have an abundance of kendo sticks. Well, I mean, it's literally a weapon. Like a chair and a table is not, its primary use is not as a weapon, but a kendo stick is only used as a weapon. It's like if you just had like seven katanas under the ring. 
Yeah. Uh, and here's the thing. There's not much way to really fake that because they – did you see the bruises oh, on his back? Oh, Jesus Christ. That was actually honestly hard to watch where he lets the three of them hit him as hard as they can with the kendo sticks and you can see the fucking blisters and blood on his back where it's leaving a mark. I had I I was I read a WWE magazine article one time where Tommy Dreamer was describing what it like feels like to be hit with a kendo stick because it's like if you don't know what it is it's like it they have like little slits in them so when you swing it, it like the wind goes through it and it opens up and then when it, you hit it hit somebody with it they cl- like slam shut so they're like pinching your skin. It's like the world's most insidious whiffle bat. The world's most insidious wiffle bat. I like that. <laughs> um, the Juice and Haskins each come in with kendo sticks, uh, and they start like having a lightsaber fight. And someone on commentary team starts doing like making the Imperial March <laughs> sound. Yeah, that was uh, that was kind of fun. Uh, Young and Taylor get taken out, and they're about to hit Bully Ray, but he just runs away. Uh, so Juice takes after him, throws him back in the ring. He gets on his knees and is just like saying, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. <laughs> um, you know, we get some trash can lids, uh, an actual trash can. Cool moment where uh, Flip Gordon springboards at Taylor, and Taylor take, like just swats him like a fly out of midair with the trash can. Yeah, that was fucking awesome. Um, Taylor and Young uh, put Gordon on Bully Ray's shoulders and he drives Gordon through the table from the top rope with a power bomb. and then uh, Juice and Haskins do a really cool moment uh, where they grab him by the grab Bully Ray by the legs trip him up and, and crotch him on the turnbuckle post and Bully Ray starts screaming my balls my <laughs> balls <laughs> I've never heard someone scream my balls in a wrestling match, but I'm glad they did. It was amazing. I It was a highlight, for sure. Definitely. Uh, and it's not uh, the, the only time that his balls get taken out. <laughs> <laughs> because they, uh, they later do the was-up headbutt where they split his legs and, uh, and Haskins comes flying off the top rope with a diving headbutt to his balls. Uh, got a little bit ahead of myself because they also get out a weapon I don't think I've ever seen used in a wrestling match, and that is a wooden pallet. That is jank as fuck. This thing yeah, is, like, like, clearly made to break apart when they hit it, and it has sadly already begun breaking apart when they bring it into the ring. But it still looks pretty gnarly when, you know, they put him in the corner and he, like, just bull rushes him and drives him through it. Oh, no, you're you're absolutely correct. It looked It looked sick. But what I'm wondering is, like, they must have just glued that thing together because if that had nails in it, that could go south real fast. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Flip Gordon finishes off Bully Ray with a 450 splash, and all three of them pin him. I thought this was a really fun one. Yeah, no, this, this is, is like... I, and maybe I just haven't seen enough modern WWE and I'm not giving it the benefit of the doubt. But this really is, like, the shit that I love from back in the day. A good hardcore match. Yeah, it, it was a good hardcore match. Show, showing that ROH can be hardcore uh, had some good story to it. It was more of a spot fest than a match. You know, the match work wasn't all impressive, so I'll give it a three out of five. But, uh, yeah, no, a fun, a fun kind of palate cleanser from all the other stuff we see. 
Absolutely. Um, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship, uh, that's uh, kind of like the New Japan's cruiserweight title, essentially. And it's kind of like we have three different organizations representing here. We have Dragon Lee from CMLL. We have Bandito from Ring of Honor and uh, Taiji Ishimori from NJPW. Really cool blending of styles here, I think. And, you know, multi-man matches don't always work, but I think this one is is pretty good. I do have to say one thing about Dragon Lee. And that is that the one of the... Because they're talking about how Bandito, they're like, he was trained by the Guerreros... Which I don't know if that's true or not, but it'd be cool if it is. It probably is. But one of them says a Mexican wrestler that like Dragon Lee is related to Bruce Lee, and I think that they mix up Dragon Lee's nationality for a moment. Yeah, I I missed that actually, but yes, Dragon Lee I believe is supposed to, <laughs> yes is supposed to be Me- or he's a Mexican he's wrestles in a Mexican organization. He is whether because I had to Google that shit after he said it to fact check him and uh, there is no mention of Bruce Lee on his Wikipedia okay, page. Okay, well maybe it's possible that that's just his gimmick. Like I mean, for instance, the big show they used to say was Andre the Giant's son, despite the fact that they looked nothing alike other than being big. Yeah, no, I think that was just a moment where the commentary team took the reins of storytelling that they had no right to take but it was kind or of it was, or maybe that's just his gimmick is that he's he's bruce related to bruce well that's what i'm saying it's nowhere on his wikipedia page like like it, 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 i read through it for any mention of bruce lee and i did not find one well hey like i mean everyone with the same last name is related like rob van dam is related to jean-claude van dam <laughs> Uh, I will say, though, it's cool that Dragon Lee, as a masked wrestler, like, his actual identity is unknown. Wait, you looked him up and they don't have, like, a real name for him? Yeah, they don't have a... I think they have a last name, but they have no first name for him. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, yeah I thought it was that's really awesome. That's how it used awesome. to be back in the day, too. Um, so, yeah, uh, I thought it was pretty cool. The, annou- the announcer is Japanese as well, since they are competing for a Japanese title. Um, uh, Ishimori, like I said, is apparently a member of the NJPW version of the Bullet Club, which is kind of meaningless here other than the fact that uh, Bullet Club is basically Ring of Honor and NJPW's version of NWO in that everyone is a part of it. <laughs> and they're involved in every storyline. Um, they explain the rules of the match, although it's basically just regular triple threat rules here. Um, Ishimori goes to the outside pretty much right away. Um, Bandito sends Lee out of the ring with a head scissors and falls up with a beautiful moonsault over the top rope, just straight up clears the top rope in one jump. Um, and this is like, this is like five seconds into the match that this happens. Yeah, that was really, really awesome. Um, Ishimori and Bandito are going at it for a bit, and then Bandito gets sent out to the apron, and Lee just runs back in and takes Bandito to the floor with a Hurricane Rana. Ishimori falls up with a big moonsault from the middle rope to Lee on the outside. Lee gets a stiff drop kick to Ishimori in the corner, and then another one in the middle of the ring, but Bandito breaks up the count. This is all happening really fast-paced here. Uh, it's hard for, I had to keep pausing it to write notes, because I, I couldn't... It was happening so fast. Yeah, Ishimori is specifically, and they they mention how fast he is, but, like, he is fucking quick, man. I don't think I've ever seen a wrestler so fast. Yeah. It's incredible. Um, 
It's like, how do you go that fast without messing up, you know? Right, right. <laughs> um, because he is, I mean, he is moving so quickly that it is it is just blowing me away. Because there are certain points where I'm like, where the fuck did he go when he's on the other side of the ring? You know, it's funny. I don't know. I haven't noticed really any like screw ups or botches in this show yet, despite how fast they're going. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that is just, I mean, goes to show how great the indie scene can be. Just because, and I've said this before, I think that these folks might want it a little bit more than uh, than some others, and so they're willing yeah. to really go for it. For sure. Um, I also noticed the two counts here are really long. Like, they, like, really hold on to those two counts where you really think, okay, it's over. They do. There were some points where I thought they got the three count off, um, yeah. but they didn't. That's a lot of trust because you can very easily, because referees are trained to even if they know it's not supposed to be the end, to count the three. Damn. Not, not to stop, because if you stop, then you, you give it away. Right, they'd right. Rather, they'd rather the match end when it's not supposed to or the wrong person win than break, you know, break the illusion. Um, Bandito is, uh, is, or Ishimori is, is tied upside down by his legs in the corner and Lee's at the top rope. He goes for a double stomp. But Bandito gets a springboard hurricane run off the top rope. Ishimori hits this crazy spin-out face buster off the top rope, drives him into the floor, and then Lee hits a, like just a running flip-over pile driver move. That's the only way I know how to describe it. The crowd is chanting, this is awesome. Yeah, and it is. Bandito straight up tosses Ishimori in the, hair, in the air and catches him with a stunner for a long two-count. The announcer mentions right here, he says that they've hit five minutes, which is a tradition in NJPW where they announce like the, how long the match has lasted. And I can't believe that all of this has happened in only five minutes. This is a shockingly short match, but it's so fast-paced and so filled with shit happening that it does not feel short. Yeah. Um... Lee then does a, a manage to hit that double stomp in the corner, this time on Bandito... He then attempts like a suplex. He lifts him up for a suplex and then catches him in a powerbomb move, but Ishimori counters into a Hurricane Rana for two. Then this crazy move happens. We're on the top rope with Ishimori and Dragon Lee. Bandito grabs them both. Like he lifts both guys up at the same time and does a backflip slam from the top rope with both guys. And one of the announcers says, that's not a real move. Yes, that is my favorite line from the commentary. And like, yeah, that's the only way to describe it. It was, it was sick, man. I was, I was losing my shit. Yeah, I really, I was losing my shit on this match too. Lee hits a running knee on Ishimori, falls up with a suplex into a powerbomb on Bandito, pins for the three count. Incredible match. The only problem I had with it is that it, it didn't go any longer. Right, right. It was it uh, was very short. Uh, yeah, I wish I could have seen more. Uh, but I gave it a four four and three quarter stars. It was it was really good. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, and then afterwards, Bandito straps the belt on Lee as a sign of respect. Have you ever seen anything quite like that yet? I mean, I mean, the TNA match was kind of like that, but I, I feel like this was even a, even a different a different level than that. It was it was completely different level, and I thought it was awesome. I mean, I I really love this match. Uh, and just the the sheer pace of it, and I love fast paced wrestling. That is my favorite kind. 
So this was a, a real treat for me. And you notice between matches, they're really not breaking up with a lot of... And that's the thing. This is a four, almost five-hour show. And unless it happens in the later part of the show, which I haven't watched yet, there's not really a lot of breaks to do other shit. They pretty much just go match to match. Yeah, yeah. It's one after another, but at the same time, I don't really feel like the storytelling is missing because they're doing such a good job of telling it in the ring. Something that Mm -hmm. the WWE oftentimes, I feel, struggles with. For sure. Uh, Our next match and the last match we're going to talk about uh, for this part of of this show is uh, another winner-take-all match uh, for the IWGP and the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships. Uh, Four-corner tag team match. Evil and Sonata versus the Briscoe Brothers versus Gorillas of Destiny, who are the IWGP Tag Team Champions. And then uh, the Villain Enterprises of Brody King and PCO, who are the ROH Tag Team Champions. I'm just going to go ahead and say this. I did not take a lot of notes on this match because I really couldn't keep up. Me too. There is, There was too much, way too much going on in this match. Uh... I mean, you have eight guys. They're not making tags. They're going in and out. Not to mention, the Briscoe brothers are the team I'm most familiar with, and I I can't tell them apart. So I it's right. <laughs> no, this one was really hard to keep up with. I completely agree with you. It, it was it was really hard. So I basically just focused on the moments featuring PCO. Yeah, um, the real star of this one. Um. And PCO, so PCO stands for Pierre Charles Ouellet because he used to be a member of the Quebecers in WWE where his gimmick was Mountie. Man, is his gimmick different now. (laughs) And he's like one of the most over guys in the company, although I do have some complaints with him and that he doesn't fucking sell anything. When I saw him in San Antonio, I watched him get put through a table and get hit face first, unprotected with a chair like 12 times and just not sell it at all. Wow. And that's that something me that, like, bit. I feel like that takes more work to not sell because that shit sounds like it hurts. And I, I'm not a big fan of it. I, and, like, we're not in an era where, like, that's the thing. First of all, this is a late-in-life gimmick for him that is, like, doesn't really, like, you don't see anymore, like, The Undertaker still does it, but at least The Undertaker's been doing it since 1990. Right. Whereas PCO didn't start doing his gimmick till like, 10 years ago, <laughs> and is a fucking Frankenstein. Yep, he's just a Frankenstein. Um, the Briscoes come out, the Briscoes are basically like, like, if, like, Ring of Honor had, like, a quintessential tag team, you know, like, for WWE, it's probably the Dudleys. Hardys, yeah. Um, or, or or for WCW, it's probably uh, the Road Warriors. For Ring of Honor, it is 100% the Briscoe Brothers. They've been with the company since the beginning. They're 10-time tag team champions. They're really cool, although I still can't tell them apart. They were um, giving me mad Hardy Brother vibes. Yeah. Well, they are actually brothers, and they are uh, they did kind of like come up in the business together. And, you know, yeah, they are kind of Hardy Boy types um and then we have evil and sonata who i don't really know uh as well as the gorillas of destiny i don't know those two teams uh you mean daft Uh, punk yeah daft punk (laughs) um but let's go to what happens with pco he comes up 
in a fucking electric chair. <laughs> and this guy Destro is shocking him with a car battery, and the announce team is like, oh god, he's alive! The crowd is chanting, he's not human. I, I just can't, I can't believe that this, like, 60-year-old man acting like a Frankenstein is, like, the most over-gimmick in this company, but... But you know what? Okay, like, I love the fact that, like you said, you know, ROH watchers, people that show up to these shows, are smart. They're they're smart to the company. They know what's going on. They know that this man is not being electrocuted in an electric chair, and yet they are fucking popping for it, and I am too, because... It's just, okay, what it is, the reason that I like this gimmick is not because the gimmick itself is particularly good, but because it harkens back to an age of wrestling that really I love and has my heart. And so to see someone else do that silly, dumb shit really gets me going. Here's what I'll say about PCO. You look at him and you think, oh, this guy's going to be a real powerhouse. He's going to do some choke slams. He's going to throw some people around. But he comes out and he fucking somersaults over the top rope onto a crowd of dudes. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not what you're expecting. Yeah. No, it's not. Uh, Everybody starts brawling. It's impossible to keep up. There's an interesting moment where Sonata puts Tongaloa in to something called the Paradise Lock that is apparently impossible to break out of, so he's just sitting in the ring in a fetal position. Um, one of the Briscoes, I'm not sure which one, I think it's Mark, maybe, hits a corkscrew plancha on top, on top of everyone that looks pretty fucking dope. Um, I wrote my notes at this point, fuck, I can't keep up with everyone, I quit. Yeah, I, I um, also wrote... This match is fun, but honestly, I cannot follow. Um, Jay hits the Jay Driller. Mark follows up with a top rope elbow drop. Mark gets draped over the apron, and PCO hits a hits a somersault onto him from the top rope on the apron, which I feel like would break your fucking back. Yeah. Um, back in the ring, PCO hits a top rope moonsault and pins, but God breaks it up. Get it, God? Oh man. PCO starts going crazy with chops on somebody. I don't know who. <laughs> G.O.D. hits a double-team powerbomb on PCO over the top rope and to the floor, and he just, like, sits right back up and starts freaking the fuck out, and then he passes out again. Yeah. Um, and then G.O.D. hits a top rope powerbomb, powerbomb on Brody King and pins him to win. I was really surprised, given how hard they're pushing Villain Enterprises, uh, PCO and Brody King, that they law- that not only did they lose the titles here, but they were the ones pinned. Because they haven't even held the titles that long. Yeah, that was, that was kind of wild. I would like to uh, throw out my favorite line from the commentary for this match. A spicy dropkick from Mark Briscoe. I didn't catch that. I, d- I wonder what was so spicy about it. Lots of peppers in that dropkick. Hmm. I thought there were some really cool spots in this match, but good lord, was it hard to follow. Uh, So for that reason, I give it a two and a half stars. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, There's still brawling going on outside of the ring while G.O.D. celebrates, and then some other dude comes out to the ring, and he's holding the tag team titles because he's stolen them. I don't know who he was. Yes, that that was honestly, he was my favorite part of the match. This is turnbuckle training, except for I know nothing this time. <laughs> I, was, I, I was totally lost in this match, but go watch it for PCO. 
Yeah, go watch it just to see a man be a Frankenstein. Yeah, I mean, that's all you really need, huh? Uh, Well, that's going to be our our kind of our halfway point. There's still four more matches on this card, including a a triple threat ladder match for the Ring of Honor World title. Ring of Honor does pretty good when they do ladder matches, so I'm I'm interested to see what, what they do here. Ring of Honor is really good about using gimmick matches sparingly, which I know, like, you really want to see a gimmick match, but when WWE does it, when they have a whole Hell in a Cell pay-per-view where every match is a Hell in a Cell... Right, it takes the fun out. Yeah, it it does, it does. And so, you know, when it comes around every once in a while, it feels more special. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that. And the rest of the show, what'd you think? Uh, I really loved it, man. I really loved Ring of Honor, and... I honestly think that, like, this is some shit I could get into. Um, Good. For real. If they could just lower the barrier to entry a little bit, I would love to. Yeah. Work on your distribution, and you're perfect. Okay, so that's going to do it for this edition of Turnbuckle Training. In two weeks, we're going to finish off this uh, this Ring of Honor episode. G1 Supercard, that is, if you want to look it up on Honor Club. Uh, that's fine. Or, you know... Wherever else. I stole your line. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I don't really know what to do there. Okay, well, there you go. You can also keep up with us 24-7 on Twitter. That's at Turnbuckle Train. And please, subscribe to us on iTunes or however you get your podcasts. Uh, and leave us a review. We want to know how we're doing. Because for all we know, this is uh, horrible. <laughs> he, and Zach doesn't disagree, apparently. I mean, I for all we know, you're right. No one's no one's reviewed we us. We have no idea. We're, we're flying so let blind us know. here. Let us know how bad we are. <laughs> Thanks for listening. It's me, Austin. The numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Oh, son of a bitch! Oh, my God. I did it for the love. Get ready for the bonkerest event of the summer. A Three Big Dudes production. Starring me, professional toe sucker. No, we won't talk about that, but we will talk about Waluigi, Dog with a Blog, the similarities between Alf and Cousin Skeeter, and of course, the Slithler. It's Feud Fight, where we take the wild questions most people won't touch and give our scalding hot takes. And I also say terrible things that could loosely be considered word crimes, just to keep things a little spicy. Every Monday, wherever you find your podcasts.